Oh, they're letters. Here. Oh, sure. <laughs> from, from John Cheever. Wow. <laughs> Ooh. Dear Henry, last night with you was bliss. I fear my orgasm has left me a cripple. I don't know how I shall ever get back to work. I love you madly, John. P.S. Love the cabin. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hey, Stephen, I found this letter. It's from a guy called John Cheever. Let me open it for you. Dear Stephen, last night with you was bliss. I fear my orgasm has left me a cripple. I don't know how I shall ever get back to work. The box. <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> yeah, the box. <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> Who told you to open this? Who's John? Who's John? And I love how Sarah goes, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of her suspicions are confirmed. Yes, yes. He was the most wonderful person I've ever known. And I love him deeply in a way you could never understand. <laughs> I love the look on, of shock on Susan's mum, Mrs. Oh. Ross. So oh, good. So good. Fabulous. Welcome to, but I don't want to be a secondary character. In case it's not obvious, this week we are talking about the Cheever Letters, a direct follow-up to last week's episode, The Bubble Boy. Uh, we did discuss a bit last week that we decided to do, for the very first time ever in Bidwabask history, mm. a uh, sequential uh, episode, and uh, well, two episodes, um, being The Bubble Boy and this week, The Cheever Letters. So. That's right. So, The Cheever Letters is episode eight of season four. The Bubble Boy was season seven, and because uh, we thought that... It's kind of like a pseudo two-parter, mm, mm, you know? So yep. we thought, why not? Let's just do Bubble Boy last week and Chiva Letters this week. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, we've got the trip and we've also got the pilot and that's just one giant, well, they're both one giant episode cut in two. And the boyfriend as well. And the boyfriend. And the bottle right. deposit. That's true. Mm. Uh, these are a bit different, but uh, yeah, definitely sequel-y. Yeah. Sequel-ish. <laughs> definitely. Yep. <laughs> uh, and if you want to get in touch with us, you can. Uh, we've got an email address, bidwabaskpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we've got a website, bidwabask.com. And if you want to get in touch with us via social media, our handle on everything is at bidwabask. Indeed. And uh, we're going to talk about quite a few characters this week, actually, Steve. We have a... Uh, this is the debut of Mr. and Mrs. Ross. Mm, they make mm. their debut on the show in this yeah. episode. I've got uh, a few interesting notes about them and just how how much they change over over the over like over their seasons in in the show. Oh yeah, well I was just going to talk about them in the context of this episode. Yeah, but, uh, I guess I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, also, we're going to talk about Sandra, who's Jerry's, I guess, kind of love interest. I suppose. Yeah. You know, almost love interest. Yeah. Fling. <laughs> With yep. the panties her mother laid out for her. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, also, we're going to talk about Louis, the Cuban diplomat with the cigars, like as well as Jorge and Umberto. I like that jacket. I like that jacket. Oh, you mean these cigars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, I want to buy, buy a couple of boxes. Yeah. Uh, also, Sarah, who looks like George, and uh, Susan's brother, Ricky. So That's quite a few characters this week. Yeah, a lot to get through. Yeah, indeed. Uh, before we get into Seinfeld news, uh, we're also on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash Bidwabask, you can check out a few tiers we have available for $5 a month. Uh, if you want to sign up, you can, and uh, you'll get access to exclusive weekly content. And uh, we're also available wherever you get your podcasts. So Google, 
uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple. And if you want to leave a five-star review, that would be fucking amazing. That would help us a lot because with five-star reviews, we actually, uh, you know, with five-star reviews, we'd be very grateful if we get them. And also uh, we appear more prominently in podcast lists. That's right. Uh, on Apple and Google and stuff. So, you know, you, you just leaving, a, you know, even a couple of sentences, you know, saying how much you like the show would really help us a lot. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. It's fine. Yep. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Seinfeld News? Yeah. So to kick off this week's Seinfeld News, we have three bits this week. Bit of a slower week. Okay, yeah, yeah, because you've usually got like six or seven or... The last three or four weeks have been between four and seven, so Mm -hmm, this is a bit of a slower week. Indeed. And the second week in a row, uh, I don't know if it's a coincidence, uh where none of the news pieces directly involve Jerry Seinfeld. Jeez, he's uh, he's keeping low for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the first bit of news, Up Rocks, which is a pop culture sort of website, they put together a list of their 10 best ever Seinfeld episodes. And uh, I rarely report on these lists because most of the time they're pretty generic and they're not very good. Well, they're not very interesting. And so many sites do it just as like filler material. Yeah, yeah. But I decided to include this one because uh, there's quite a few surprises. Not only what's included, but what's not included. So, in order from 10 to 1, uh, their episodes are The Chinese Restaurant. Mm. Today's episode, The Cheever Letters, which hey, is another reason I put it in. Your beauty. Uh, the Hamptons, which we've covered. I was in the pool. Yeah. The Bus Boy. <laughs> uh, the Airport, which is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. It's a yep. good one. Yep. There's a clunk over there. We haven't done that yet. No. The Hang airport. on. Is that is that the airport? No. The, no. That was no. the limo. Oh, that's right. There's a clunk over there. Yeah. Oh, the airport is the one with the pilot, isn't it? Uh, no, it was the one, the pilot as well. No, yeah. no, no. It was the one where Jerry's in first class mm. and then Elaine's in the cattle class. Oh, and then George yeah. picks up the Time magazine and it has like that serial killer oh, yep, yep, on, yep. on the front and the serial killer goes after George. There's so many the episodes set in airports. My brain's just blending <laughs> them all up. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, and then Kramer makes bets with the Texan. Yes. On which flights will arrive first. Yep. And he loses yep. like all his money. And Newman has to bring the the bag of uh, Son of Sam. That's right. Yep. Uh, also included, and this one is to be expected, the parking garage. Uh, the marine biologist, another expected. Usually that appears in most top ten lists. Oh, yeah. Uh, a few surprises. The invitations. Okay. Oh, I guess because it was more monumental. Yeah. That was like a very pivotal episode. It's probably more famous for Susan's death yep. rather than the actual content. Uh, the rest of the content. What yeah. do you think number two and number one are? Soup Nazi... And contest. Contest is number two. Uh-huh. Number one, you won't guess it. The opposite. Nope. The boyfriend. Nope. Tell me. The subway. That's oh, their favourite ever episode. Okay. I mean, it's a great episode. We've yeah. covered that, I think, back in season two or three at Bidwell Season but, um, one, actually. Was it season one? Yeah, yeah, we did. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, all the way back then. Yeah. Um, that's the only reason I included that list, because it was very surprising. I think because... I think this list... Well, you know, lists are usually subjective, but the yeah. subway, again, you know, like the invitations, it was... I guess it was kind of like groundbreaking and pivotal, mm. you know, like the fact that the subway was one of the first, you know, episodes where all four of them had like a good story arc. You know what I mean? They kind of converged. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's probably... I mean, up way. until up until the subway, there was a few episodes. I mean, the Chinese restaurant and the parking garage where... But Kramer uh, wasn't in it though. Yeah. Mind you. So that's true. That's true. I think this is one of the first ones where all four of them had like their own plots. Yeah. yeah. And it was also, I think it was, I mean... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the first episode where none of it is set in any of the typical set pieces like Jerry's apartment or Monks or whatever. Yeah, that's right. 
um, but they all have their own individual stories. Like if you think of the parking garage or the Chinese restaurant, they're all out of the typical set pieces, but they're all together. Yeah. yeah. So this one's a different where they all sort of, they start off together and then they go off and have their own little adventures. So I can understand why this one was yeah, popular. Yeah, yeah, but number yeah. one though. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well. well, this is subjective. That's right. Yep. Uh, the second bit of news. So the sixth annual, this is a mouthful, so bear with me. <laughs> the it. sixth <laughs> annual Ed Asner and Friends Poker Tournament Celebrity Night Ooh. is happening September 8th in Culver City. I wonder if Warney's going to be there. Probably. Warney loves his poker. He does. Shane Warne. Yeah, he's a poker. <laughs> I don't think he's much of an American celebrity. Ah, oh, you never know. He probably goes there and no one knows him. True. Well, that would defeat the purpose of it being a celebrity poker match. Who's this blonde guy <laughs> playing poker? Never seen him. Uh, so it's happening on September 8 in Culver City, like I said. Uh, amongst the guests uh, competing will be Don Cheadle, Lou Diamond Phillips, and Mr. Jason Alexander. Nice. You know, a really funny story about Lou Diamond Phillips. Uh, I went to trivia a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my cousins from America came to visit, mm. and um, Janina and I and my aunt and uncle, we all went out for trivia, and my cousins as well. And, you know, like at Trivia Nights, how they've got those faces, you've got to pick, you know, which face. Like, you've got the whole night, you know, to pick. You know, like when we did the Seinfeld trivia, oh, yeah, we had to yeah, pick yeah. which characters they were. Yeah. But these ones were, like, really obscure celebrities. Like, a few of them we already knew. Yeah. But one of them was Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh, wow. But Janina, for the whole night, said, I've seen him in the film La Bamba, you know, from the 80s. It was the Richie Valens mm. um, biopic, mm-hmm. you know, from the 80s. Mm. I think it was a biopic uh, about, about Richie Valens. Okay. Or maybe someone similar like him. And anyway, so Lou Diamond Phillips plays like the main guy. He's like a guitarist, yeah? All right. And like Janina was like, I swear, I I don't know the name of this guy, but I've seen him in this movie. Like, I, I've seen him. Like, and, But he's like an older version of him in the photo. Yep. And then I'm like, what's the name? What's the name? What's the name? And it was like, they told us the answer, Lou Diamond Phillips. It's like, oh, my God, Lou Diamond Phillips. Okay. Like, I didn't yeah. even know who Lou Diamond Phillips was until he, I've heard the name, yeah, but I, yeah, couldn't, I was like, he could be a singer, an actor. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, actor, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it was funny. It was just like, you mentioned Lou Diamond Phillips, and I was like, yeah. oh, that was one of the trivia questions. Yeah, that's like, a strange coincidence. How often does anyone talk about Lou Diamond Phillips? I don't imagine very often. Well, on that trivia night, they did. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably the first time in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm relevant. <laughs> uh, so the poker tournament uh, is in its sixth year. Uh, they're expecting to raise over 100 grand. And the foundation that it benefits is the Ed Asner Family Center. Um, and what it does is it caters to the needs of, uh, well, what they call special people. So people with special needs. Um, that may be intellectual or physical. I'm not too sure. Um, but their, I guess their angle is that they help out the family as well. So not just the individual with uh, said special needs, but the family as well with support and therapy and, you know, uh, maybe railing. Just things that can help them out and make their lives yeah. and their family's lives a bit easier. Of course. So, Good. Very if you good. listen to this and you happen to be in Call the City on September 8th and you have what I imagine is a pretty big buy-in fee, mm-hmm. um, I don't even know if the public can compete actually, uh, but I imagine tickets are quite a bit. Uh, head along and say good day to Jason from us. Yeah, very good. That's right. Uh, and the third bit of news and the final bit of news, again, Mr. Jason Alexander. <laughs> and I did the say man of the hour. Man of the hour. Yep. Uh, he was a bit of a star last week too with uh, actors in tow trucks towing <laughs> comedians <laughs> with distance in cars getting coffee. On full frontal with Samantha B. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a mouthful. What's he, what's he uh, up to this week? <laughs> <laughs> Another great appearance. So uh, this week he portrayed the Colonel for a new KFC ad. <laughs> With the white hair? Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. So, apparently, in the last sort of six to 12 months, KFC have been running ad campaigns in America where, like, once a month, they'll change the celebrity appearing as the colonel. 
uh, and the latest one, I'm guessing for August, uh, has Jason Alexander starring as the co- <laughs> as, as the colonel. So it's a 15 second ad. It's really small, um, and it's just got a family at home at the dinner table saying, "What are we going to have for dinner? Oh, we're out of <laughs> we're out of food or we're out of options." And Jason, as the colonel, bursts in with this giant, stupid, obnoxious tray full of chicken, and then he just rattles off the deals like, you know, this this family deal and that family deal and that family deal and then he says some like advertising like little blurb he's like KFC the blah 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 and then that's it (laughs) the sea was angry that day my friends like an old man returning potato and gravy at the KFC counter (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's really good we'll put all the links up to those articles and also that uh, ad where Jason is the colonel in the show notes and that's all the Seinfeld news for the week very good Steve shall we have a quick break and then I will get into the secondary characters for the Chiva letters sounds good you're listening to but I don't want to be a secondary character you're looking for a brand new podcast with some interesting guests well, you found it. Listen to In Melbourne last week with me, Ivan Pugioni. I talk to a different guest every week about their occupation, their hobby, their love for something, whatever it may be. Always interesting, so be sure to subscribe. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Podbean. So be sure to get in touch and listen to some really cool people on a really cool podcast. Yeah, this is But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. And this week, Stephen, we're talking about The Chiva Letters, Season 4, Episode 8. That's right. And uh, the what we've classified as the pseudo-sequel to The Bubble Boy, which we did last week. Indeed. Uh, so, let's talk about an episode synopsis before we get into the characters, shall we? As we usually do, or as I usually do each as week. As I usually do. <laughs> Indeed. And I just come in with my like dumb little quips, like, uh, 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 quip. The, the show's called Seinfeld. Oh, quippy boy. Oh. <laughs> quippy. Well, I want to be a quippy boy. <laughs> I want to be a quippy boy. <laughs> you sure do. First aired in the US, October 28th, 1992. Directed by Tom Sharonas, written by Larry David, Elaine Pope, not Elaine Bennis, and Tom Leopold. The teleplay was by Larry David. Jerry and George struggle with their sitcom pilot script. Uh, Jerry telephones Elaine and complains to her about her chatty secretary, Sandra, played by Lisa Malkowitz. Uh, Elaine asks Sandra not to join or not to talk to Jerry so much. Hurt by this, Sandra quits. At Jerry's apartment, Kramer asks George for more Cuban cigars to bribe his way onto the Winchester Country Club golf course. George has none. That night, George has an awkward dinner with Susan and her parents, uh, played by Warren Frost and Grace Zabriskie. Uh, Susan and George tell her father about the loss of the cabin, and he is devastated. Isn't he? More than devastated. More than. We'll get into that a bit later. Soul is crushed. Oh, and the rest. Uh, At Elaine's request, Jerry calls Sandra and retracts his comments about her by claiming that they were misconstrued by Elaine, and uh, this prompts Sandra to ask him out. Jerry accepts for fear of offending her again. (laughs) And I love love the scene when (laughs) Jerry tells George about what happened. And then George is getting like all worked up, yeah, slightly aroused. He's yeah, like, oh. and he squeezes the, sauce. <laughs> the ketchup. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna need some water over here. I'm gonna need some water over here. <laughs> you know, there could have been like when we talk about Sandra, we'll probably hypothesize what she may have implied. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not explicitly, mm. but I don't know. There's probably like a multitude of things she could have yeah, said. Yeah, your brain can go off in a lot of directions. Mm, definitely. Um, they return to his apartment, but while talk- talking dirty to each other, Sandra takes offense to one of Jerry's remarks and storms off. George and Der- Jerry then doze off after failing to write any more of the script. <laughs> Elaine thanks Jerry for getting Sandra back to work, but Jerry says she should relocate her quickly and is relieved that Sandra did not mention the previous night. Oh boy. Kramer asks the Cuban diplomatic mission in the United Nations about buying Cuban cigars and learns that they are illegal in the United States. 
However, the, she- uh, the chief diplomat named Louise, played by Miguel Perez, likes Kramer's jacket, and they reach an understanding. I like that jacket. That jacket. Jerry and George go to Susan's house to return her sunglasses. A doorman, played by David Blackwood, delivers a metal box from the insurance company, the only object which survived the cabin fire. Inside are letters detailing an affair between Susan's father and novelist, John Cheever. Hence the name of the episode, The Cheever Letters. Susan's father openly admits to the affair and even compares the relationship favourably to those he shares with the rest of his family. (laughs) Jerry and George awkwardly slip out. They again fail to progress with the script before they are interrupted by Elaine, who's angry with Jerry because her company charged her $429 for making phone calls to Europe from work. I made a friend while I was in Europe. Uh, After she was transferred, Elaine's former secretary turned her in. Jerry gladly gives Elaine the money, and as she leaves, she reveals that Sandra told her about Jerry's remarks during their dirty talk. One of my favourite ever episode endings. Yeah. Just the, the, the position that Jerry is sort of he's stuck like, in. Yeah, he's like half sitting like, down. He's like, because yeah, yeah. they're all laid out for me. And then she closes the door, and he's just like, I got to go visit my mother. I just got new panties in there laid out for me. Oh, man. Such a, <laughs> such a good line. And uh, that's a nice little smooth transition into some episode trivia for the episode. So uh, that line that we just talked about where Elaine uh, gives Jerry shit and reveals that she knows what uh, he said to Sandra, uh, when it was filmed, the studio audience was so loud Mm, and their reaction was so, so big um, that in post-production they had to actually uh, shorten that laugh track or that little snippet of laughter and turn down the volume because it was so overwhelmingly loud. Um, yeah. yeah, so I thought yeah. that was really interesting. That's amazing. And you can hear it. Like, you can hear the audience the just... Shock. The shock. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. It kind of reminded me of, like, a married with children shock. You know, when... Even though they don't say sort of super shocky lines, that's just the... I guess that's what the audience is encouraged to do. Yeah. I imagine there were people on set saying, like, you know, cheer and carry on, like, a bit over the top. But, you know, where it's just like, the no pig. And they're like, <laughs> woo! They just lose yeah. their minds over Let's something Let's have more. sex, Al. The pig. Like, woo. toilet flushes. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> from the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Simpsons. yeah. But they were making fun of the fact that just something really mundane would happen and the audience would just lose their shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what it felt like to me. But obviously this line but is it was, worth it losing your shit over. It definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's worth it for sure. So good. And some more trivia. Well, before I do mention some more trivia, uh, other characters include uh, Patricia Lee Wilson. She played Susan's aunt, Sarah. Uh, and also, who the subject of the next bit of trivia I'm about to mention, uh, he plays uh, Ricky, uh, Susan's younger brother. The actor is called Timothy Om- Ombudsman. Ombudsman. Ombudsman, yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, Timothy, he actually featured, uh, he was one of the main characters in the show Psych uh, from the 2000s. Okay. Um, he featured in an episode called Psych Jewel Spires, and it was actually a spoof of Twin Peaks. And uh, as you may know, Stephen, Mr. and Mrs. Ross. Uh, the actresses or the actors both appeared in Twin Peaks and major roles. Oh, there you go. Yes. Nice little connection there. Indeed, yes. Okay. Uh, the other bit of trivia I have is that uh, in this episode, Elaine calls Jerry Jerome. Yeah, that's right. He does. Which she is does. Jerry Seinfeld's real life name. Indeed. Um, yeah, so that's a nice little coincidence. I'm pretty sure this is the first time she calls him Jerome. I know yeah. she says it at a least once more. Yeah. Yeah, usually when she's just teasing him, she's like, I know Jerome, Jerome or something like that. Jerome. Do you have any other trivia for the episode? Uh, not about the episode, but a bit of uh, interesting information about Don- John Cheever mm. and uh, how he's connected to Seinfeld. Oh, wow. Uh, so John Cheever, uh, he was a real uh, novelist and short story writer who was most famous for chronicling mid-century American suburban life. Uh, he was born in 1912, died in 1982. Uh, after Cheever's death, his daughter, named Susan... 
ironically enough, oh, wow. uh, wrote a memoir revealing that Cheva was actually uh, serially unfaithful to her mother with both male and female lovers. Wow. And this was additionally confirmed when his journals were also published posthumously. There you go. There you go. So uh, that's where the connection comes from, I guess. Hmm. So Henry was one of, uh, Mr. Ross was one of John's lovers. Oh, that was the inspiration. I thought that, that makes sense because I thought it's so weird that they, um, you know, that they use just a, not that he's a random American novelist, but he's, you know, just, you know, it almost felt like they just picked a novelist out yeah. of a hat and they're like, he, you know, is the gay lover of Susan's father. It's I actually just- didn't, I couldn't do the, I uh, figure the connection anyway until mm. I read that. I was like, yeah. wow, okay. So, you know, because he, he was having several affairs and his daughter was named Susan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny as. And I guess they would have had to base, now that I think about it, in terms of, even though he was dead when this episode was filmed and aired, um, you know, to sort of tarnish someone like that posthumously if he wasn't gay, even yeah. though it's just fiction. Um, you know, that's a pretty big risk to take to say, to basically imply that the real life John Cheever was gay. Yeah. If he wasn't. So but this was revealed in memoirs. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, yeah. I realise that. But yeah, I'm saying yeah. if they just, if it was just completely <laughs> fictional. I'm pretty sure there'd be a lot of, uh, it's like lies. There'd be a lot or, of back. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure the family wouldn't be too happy about that. I'm sure they probably Because he's so highly regarded. Yeah. You know, they, they would be a bit bothered by it. The Falconer. I'm reading The Falconer by John Cheever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you oh, familiar yeah, with his yeah, work? I'm, I'm familiar, familiar with his work. Have you read John Cheever? Yeah, I'm familiar with his work. Yeah, I'm familiar with a bit of his work. Uh, in real life, though, um, aside from his uh, salacious, you know, uh, sexual life, sex sex life, mm. um, as a novelist, he was highly rewarded and highly regarded. So, he actually won... Sorry, excuse oh, me. It's okay. You're right. <laughs> he actually won the Pulitzer Prize in 1979. Oh, goodness. For his short story collection, The Stories of John Cheever, <laughs> which was just a, a compilation of short stories he'd written over his life. One of my favourite lovers, Henry Ross. <laughs> uh, we go to his father's cabin and... It oh, was man. like a sanctuary. Oh, you know what would have, like, <laughs> if, uh, I'm sure someone has thought of this, surely. Yeah. Uh, it would be awesome to just make up, like, a compil, like, as a Seinfeld, piece of Seinfeld paraphernalia, um, like, making up your own, the John Cheever letters, or, like, the, the, the Mr. Ross letters, and just make up a bunch of letters that John Cheever would have written uh, <laughs> Mr. Ross in the episode and, like, release it as, like, a real-life compilation. Oh, that's cool. That would have been, yeah, but, I mean, you'd have to write. A whole bunch of letters, but I don't know. That, that, if someone time. if someone did that, I'd probably buy it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That's 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 a big commitment, and it's literally called the Cheever letters. Yeah, exactly. But Jerry would have to license it, though. It's true. <laughs> that is very true. He won his cut. That's true. Let's talk about. Uh, we've been talking about Henry Ross for a little while, so why don't we start with him? Yeah, well, I've got notes on both Mr. and Mrs. Ross. Okay. Uh, so, Mr. Ross, so Henry, he was played by the late Warren Frost, uh, most famous, as I mentioned, uh, for appearing in Twin Peaks as Dr. Will Hayward, a uh, major character. Uh, he also appeared in shows such as Matlock, Quantum Leap, and L.A. Law. Uh, he passed away last year in, in February, aged 91. Okay. Yes. Just before we started recording this podcast. So That's right. If he had passed away a month later, we would have given him a little... Uh, in memoriam yes indeedy died a bit too early uh, 91 91 so That's young too young long life yeah it's very good so uh henry is obsessed with three things cigars that cabin and john cheever yeah i think there is three highlights of his whole life i think with the cigars i think henry's more obsessed with the fact that they came you know they were castros I think he's more obsessed with like high the status, status of the, the status cigars. of the cigars, yeah. Right. And I think he kind of he likes showing off his wealth as okay. well. It's kind of like, oh, you see these? They were for Castro. Oh. You see this thing? This was for this dictator, or you yeah. know, this was for this politician or something. I think he likes kind of showing off to George. So he like he liked the validation he would have gotten from the 
like people being impressed by the rare items that he has due Possibly. to his wealth. Okay. Possibly. I never thought of it like that. He probably that. likes bragging. That's just my take. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Because um, he is a wealthy man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think know. it's self-made wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Because yep. his father, you know, he he said his father built the cabin. Yeah. I'm guessing his cab, his father was probably like a working class yeah. factory worker or, yep. you know, like Great Depression. Yep. You know, he would have lived through the Great Depression yep. as a kid. Yeah, I don't think know. anyone, if his father was very wealthy, I think he would have had someone build the cabin. Or just lived in like. No, you said his father built it. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, if his yeah, father yeah. was wealthy, you know, if he was, if his father was oh, born into yeah, wealth, yeah, 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 I don't yeah. think he would be humble enough to, to build it, no. to build a cabin from scratch. He would have either already had one or had someone build it for him. His last words to me were, "Cherish, Cherish the, the cabin. cabin," and he's like a curmudgeon old dude. Totally. So he's, yeah. he'd be right up your alley. I don't care for Johnny Carson. <laughs> I don't care for Johnny Carson. Daddy, he's doing Johnny Carson. I never cared for him. I never cared for his hero. I, I, the first thing that came to mind, the first adjective was joyless. He's a joyless old asshole. Oh, he is, isn't yeah, he? For yeah. Sure. I think he's. I think there's a direct correlation between his joylessness in life and the death of John. You Eva. think so? Yeah. So John was such a big part of his life. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the way he the way he talks about him as if he was an angel sent from heaven. So, you know, love that you can never understand. Exactly. So yeah. I think he was his happiest when he was at the cabin with John. And uh, you know, now that John John's been dead for what? When did this episode air? Ninety two? Uh yeah, ninety two. Yeah, ninety two. The real he life died John in 82. Tiber- Yeah, so 82. he's been dead for ten years. Yeah, yeah. And he's still holding on to a very deep pain over mm-hmm. John's death. Mm-hmm. Um and I imagine he would have gone up to the cabin alone a lot from 82 to, you know, whenever, well, until it burnt down in 92, just to sort of relive the memories and, you yeah. know, to sort of sort of get comfortable with that pain and loss, yeah. you know? Do you think um, do you think John Cheever had the same feelings as Henry did to him? I think for Cheever, mm. you know, assuming that Cheever had a lot of affairs, I think Cheever was just like another notch on his bedpost okay. with Henry. So I think th- Henry had feelings for him. Oh, John probably had feelings for him. But maybe not as deep. Not as deep as Henry did. Yeah. I think Henry fell in love with him. Yeah, I guess you know? unless you're a really good fraud or unless you're really good at just, uh, you know, leading people on, the fact that he wrote so many intimate letters, like that's a pretty... Like a handwritten letter, especially these days, is considered a very intimate, personal, loving thing. And there was a whole box of them. So there was obviously a series of them. So yeah. you, can, you can imply that the affair would have gone on for years and years, mm-hmm. not just a, an occasional fuck. Of course. Um, so I think, there, yeah, there probably was some feelings on, on John's side, but not as deep mm-hmm. as, as Henry's because of the fact that John had more than one lover. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. No, I think that's fair. Um, I... <sighs> I was trying to think why, if he was so unhappy in life, except when he was with John and then deeply unhappy when John died, why was he still married to Mrs. Ross? I think it's out of, because maybe he's wealthy and, you know, he's from a, the upper crust of New York. Maybe it's like a social expectation, and like his probably, saving face. Maybe? And it's probably for his son, Ricky. Mm, you know, his son, yeah, obviously was in college. What major are you doing? Yep. Nothing. <laughs> what does he say? He's like, he's, I've got none. I've got none. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I've got none. Yeah. That's right. He's probably doing it, you know. For Ricky, okay. Now, Ricky's just getting into college, so yep. he probably wants to keep the family together, true. probably for social status as well as for the son. That's true, maybe as well. Much like uh, Donald's parents last week in the Bubble Boy, you know, I think we kind of theorise that, uh, you know, they're, they're broken people in a broken marriage, but they're staying together just for the for the sake of their son. Yeah, yeah, that's, no, that's right, that's fair. Yeah, um, but funnily enough, I mentioned this at the start of the episode. There's a big transformation in their marriage because they're sort of happy in season seven when Susan's a major character all through that season. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, when they go on the um, horse and carriage ride where Kramer is, is feeding um, the horse. <laughs> Beefarino. Uh, Beefarino. <laughs> you know, like, they're obviously a lot happier. Um, 
And I was thinking, like, we'll talk about that more, but just in the context of this episode, I thought that was an interesting transition to go from, you know, they're very unhappy, they hate each other, yeah, they're yeah. so openly bitter, and Mrs. Ross laughs at Mr. Ross. Like, she pisses oh, herself she, when she, the cabin she burns down. Oh, she can't stand him. Yeah. yeah she, she can't, can't stand, stand him cabin. or his fucking cigars or his cabin. She's yeah, stoked. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, that, that animosity is gone three mm. seasons later. So, I'm guessing that they've united in their hate for George. And I'm guessing after the cabin burned down, I feel like the cabin burning down was like losing John all over again for him. Yeah, yeah. Not only it because it was a loss of his father's legacy or his family's sort of legacy and something that his father, you know, gave him, you know, in his dying moments and yeah. told him to cherish it. Yeah. But also because there were so many physical memories there of his times with John. But look at how devo he was. For you sure. know, he found out about the cabin. Yeah. He, he just he, walked off and he, he started- He almost enters like a catatonic shocked state. He just like- yeah, He started sobbing apparently yeah, in, the, yeah, in the bedroom. Yeah. So, you know. so I, think, I think after this and before Susan re-enters in season seven, I think he would have gone through a lot of personal therapy and part of that therapy would have been- uh, a repairing of or the starting of repairing the marriage with Mrs. Ross because yeah, they yeah. seem a lot happier when season seven rolls around. That's right. So I think it would have been a almost like a blessing in disguise. Like the burning down of the cabin was the the loss of him holding on to things that he can't have anymore. Yeah, it was but almost, the, but it was almost like a freeing. Now. Yeah, you yeah. know, even though that would have been hard, I think it would have been a, a big, um, you know, a reason for him to to shed that old life and those old memories. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think in the end it was good for him because he seems a lot happier. You know, and a lot more well-adjusted, and a bit less of a, of a, you know, just a grumpy old bastard in yep. the later seasons. And like you mentioned before, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Ross coming together for one, you know, reason, to, yeah, you know, to stick it to George, yeah, you know, yeah. But even they, when they got something stick- to to do, yeah. yeah. Even when they're not sticking it to George, they just seem happier. Like there's not that open bitterness that mm. you see at the dinner table in yeah. the Chiva letters. That's you know? right. Yeah, they do change. Don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're still a bit sort of grumpy and stuff, but they're not. Oh, but they've been together for years. Yeah, so like, uh, yeah, yeah. You know. They just seem a lot happier, and there's there's no open animosity as there is. In yeah, this yeah, episode. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's, so it's changed their lives. I it, think so. It's improved their marriage for basically. sure. You know, the the loss of of memories and and a cabin was a blessing in disguise for their marriage. Oh, wow. I you never know. saw it that way. Well, I mean, you think about it. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you have anything else about uh, Henry? No. I, no. No. We'll obviously talk more about him, uh, you know, when we get to some season seven episodes. Could uh, even do a What's the Deal with episode. We could, actually. With Mr. and Mrs. Ross. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Okay, we'll do that. We'll, add, right. it, we'll add it to the list at some point in the future. Sounds good. Cool. We'll, we'll park it for now. Sweet. All right. Well, in that case, uh, did you want to talk about Mrs. Ross just in the context of this app? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, she's played by Grace Sabritsky. Uh, she also appeared in Twin Peaks as Sarah Palmer, Laura's mother. That's right. Uh, as well as featuring in the films Armageddon, Wild at Heart, and The Grudge. Yep. Yeah. Cl- clearly, in this episode, loves her booze. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think she's a bit of a booze hound. I think she yeah. just drinks to, to hide, you know, and to mask the deep depression and sadness and resentment that she feels for... <laughs> For life as well it's, as uh, yeah. Henry. It's definitely self-medicating. <laughs> you for sure. Know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think she knows that she is probably fourth, third or fourth in the pecking order below the cabin, below now John, now that it's revealed, and probably below cigars mm-hmm. as well, you know. And, uh, you know, being fourth in the pecking order to your significant other would be quite hurtful. I can understand why you want to get pissed a lot. And, and why she wants to numb the pain. Yeah, and why yeah. she finds pleasure in his uh, in his deep loss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you think they met? I mean, because I think I think Henry is a self-made. Man, okay. Yeah. You know, he probably came from a working-class background. I think maybe she came from money. Maybe. Oh, maybe okay. Was, so maybe, she was the one that came from money. I think so. Why not? Maybe. Uh, maybe it was a case of you know, like those, like in Titanic, you know how um, Rose comes from money and Jack is you know working class, but that's what he that's what she loves about him because he's not just a stuffy society guy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, to him, to him, she represents freedom mm-hmm. and more than just this stuffy 
life given to her and yeah. rules and regulations. So maybe it was something like that. Maybe Henry was, you know, he has a cabin. He's a bit more wild. I could have, I could imagine him being like, I don't know, like some sort of Jack Kerouacky, you know, <laughs> traveling sort of vagabond in the day. Yeah, you yeah, know, and maybe yeah. she came from a stuffier background. So for her, maybe he represented freedom and oh, you know like okay. something a bit more liberating sure you know? and then they got together but turns out he uh he didn't love her well as much as much of, because of john i'm sure they still have feelings oh but, yeah, 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 yeah yeah his yeah. love was for uh, another person yeah 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 that, that was the first thing that came to mind okay fair. so she came from the money okay maybe All right. yeah i mean i guess we'll dive a bit deeper into that idea when we eventually do the what's the deal with episode yeah yeah, yeah. um but that's the first thing that popped into my head fair enough okay I know. what do you ah. think about that that sounds pretty plausible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I didn't really have anything else about her. No, I think, like I said, I think with the Rosses, we should save them for their own yeah. episode. I yep. think we can definitely flesh them out. But in the context of this episode, clearly yep. Mr. Ross pines for John, mm-hmm. John Cheever, loves his cabin, which burns down. And like you said, the, the cabin burning down is a way of him to move on. Yeah. So in a way, Kramer did the Ross family a favour. Yep, in indirectly. A sense. Yeah. Yep. Short-term pain, but long-term gain. Yeah, and Mrs. Ross is a booze hound. For sure. You know, who, who, she who finds, uses it to mask her depression. Yeah, and she <laughs> finds a lot of joy in, in uh, such misery for, for Henry. For Henry, indeed. What is Mrs. Ross's first name? I keep saying Mrs. Ross, but uh, I'm sure she has a first name. Um, you can look that up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It was on the tip of my tongue. The other note I had about her, um, and I won't explore this too much, but I think because of her unhappiness, I wouldn't be surprised if she's had an affair or two uh, mm-hmm. since Henry's been deeply depressed and deeply sort of bitter uh, when John died 10 years prior. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if she's had a fling or two off to the side. Oh, no, you know, no, just no, as another form of escapism. Yeah, I'm sure she has. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't actually have a first name, funnily well, enough. There's Henry. Oh, hang on. There's Henry, daughter Susan... Just Mrs. Ross. No, unnamed mother. Oh, well. The wife is Mrs. Ross. She doesn't actually have her name. Oh. Her first name. There you go. There you go. Okay. And you know really funny? Because next week, we, uh, I'll spoil it now, but next week we're going to season nine and doing The Wizard. Mm. That's the episode where Mr. and Mrs. Ross, and that's the one where George pretends he has a house in the Hamptons. Yes. And then the Rosses and they come to him. drive there. Yes. Oh, so good. That, that, we're actually doing that episode next week. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. <laughs> nice. Oh, so they'll, they'll be appearing back to back. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sick. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about Sandra. Sandra, arguably the most important secondary character in the episode. Oh, yeah, especially least, in Jerry's storyline. At least oh, in and terms Elaine's of consequences. Too. Yeah. Indeed, yes. For sure. Played by actress uh, Lisa Malkowitz. Uh, she appeared in the films Edward, Mr. Jones, and Star Time. Uh, she hasn't actually had an acting credit since 1996. Okay. So I don't know what she's done. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she... Uh I don't know. Maybe she was so traumatized by the panty remark she had to go into <laughs> yeah. an institution. She even quit her like, acting oh, job. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I liked Sandra. Yeah. Great character. I think she's cool. Yeah. Very highly strung, though. You know, I think she she takes people's statements. I think she she's a deep... Like, I think she takes what people say and kind of construes it in, like, her own way. Yeah. It's like, oh, Jerry said, oh, next time can you just... You know, Elaine says, oh, next time one of my friends call, can you just transfer it directly to me? Mm. Oh, Jerry must have said something, you know. She thinks of the worst in people. Yeah. You know? Definitely. Yeah. She seems a bit uh, maybe not emotionally unstable, but just over-emotional. Yeah, maybe. definitely. Like, overreacts. Like, makes, makes mountains things. out of molehills. She overthinks a lot of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. mountains out of molehills, molehills yep. yeah. Definitely. Storming a teacup yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, But saying that, I think she's a very friendly, chatty person because, you know, even though Jerry has the shits with her chatting all the time, I like how Jerry's pretending. He's like, oh, I'm on the phone. There's a lot of people lining up. Got to go. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think she's just a really friendly, bubbly person, you know, and obviously she likes Jerry. She I asked think him out she on liked Jerry at the start. I reckon she's always liked Actually, Jerry. Yeah. 
Maybe that's why she chats to him for 20 minutes. Maybe, Maybe yeah. she's not like that with everyone, but just with just Jerry. Just with Jerry, yeah. Yeah, because she asks him out straight away. That's right. When Jerry calls to, to give his fake apology and make up his fake yeah. excuse. And then you hear Jerry say, yeah, I like you. Yeah, you know? yeah. I can go for a drink. Yeah, yeah. 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 So maybe, um, maybe she was keen on him the whole time. Yeah, and then when, when Jerry's recounting the story the next morning in the diner with uh, with George, um, she, you know, Jerry's like, he's, oh, what does he say? Oh, that's right. She had his hand on her thigh. Oh, sorry, she, no, had, she had, had his, her, her hand, hand on, on his, his thigh. thigh. Yeah. 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 And then what does Jerry say? He's like, have you ever told a woman to take her hand off your off thigh? Your thigh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, I have no choice. I have to go along with this. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. we ended up back in my apartment. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. time out. And then time she out. got into the dirty talk. <laughs> oh, time. I love how George throws his, throws his yeah, like, like his napkin, towel. napkin or whatever around. He's like, well, time it's like, out. It's like in gridiron. Time yeah. out. Time yeah. out. Yeah. Time out. Like they throw the towel on the court. <laughs> yeah. Time out. Like two seconds before the game ends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think she comes across as a bit naive. Okay. I yep. think. Um, obviously, she likes she likes the dirty talk. Oh, We're going to talk about Netflix reality. She's, uh, I reckon she's very wild in the, uh, in, the in, bedroom. in the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I was. She's very experimental. I think. I, I think, think she so. likes different things. Yeah. She's probably got a few kinks up her sleeve, and oh, so to speak. And um, like I mentioned, I've got a few kinks down her panties. Oh, wow. down her mother's panties. <laughs> no, the panties her mother laid out for her. Yeah. True. <laughs> and I think I can understand why you know she's she loves the dirty talk, and I can see why she hated. She you know mention like. Parents mm, no. during foreplay, you know, like not mum or dad. No, you know, you don't, you don't mention like family members when you're about to have sex. No, you know, it's like, ugh. I can, Im- I can see how it's like a mood killer. It's like, yeah, yeah. I think her like storming out and being like angry at him was maybe a bit too much, Probably but definitely, a bit too much. but definitely the definitely mood, mood killer, killer. And for yeah. her to just go, what? Like put a put a hold to it. Yeah, and she's and, like, and don't talk. mention my mother. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, but to to storm out yeah. and sort of like be angry at him, I'm like, okay, maybe that's a bit too much. And it was a bit mean to like gossip. You know, to Elaine about you know, you yeah. What can you do? It's probably a good thing that you tell your friends. Yeah. Like, guess what? This oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That would know. be a good story. Like good I've story. I've had weird situations, and you know, there's like an unspoken expectation. Like yeah, this will stay between us, and then you know, like the next per the next you know, whenever you see your friends next, you're like, what have you been up to? Well, well, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Funnily <laughs> yeah. enough. Yep. Yeah. I thought maybe. I mean, this is just a half baked thought, but maybe she is triggered by the dirty talk. Uh, by Jerry using um, her mother in Dirty Talk, maybe she's got some ongoing issues with her mother. Maybe it like upset oh, her. Oh yeah, maybe yeah, it upset her more than just too. like yeah. not just like a weird sexual thing, but like maybe she has issues with her mother. Yeah, like so just the mention of her mother was a bit something. of a triggering. Or maybe her mother passed away. Yeah, you know, yeah, was ill or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have been something like maybe uh, something like that, like maybe a rocky relationship, or like is yeah. it maybe maybe the mother died? Yeah, you know. I think maybe it was a combination of it just being a weird thing to say sexually that yeah. most people would be a bit weirded out by. Of course, maybe, like you don't ma- mention parents, no kids or anything. Yeah, what? no, it's Fuck. it's a bit odd. Yuck. Uh, ah. but yeah, but the the fact that she reacted angrily, maybe that came from more of the the emotional instability or a death or you know whatever the issue is between her and her mother, or if it's just a you know. Uh, a sad memory of a death or something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you have anything else about Sandra? No. Well, she's very, like I said, very experimental and mm. probably willing to try everything at least once. Definitely. You know, in the I same. think she's quite sexually liberated. And I don't want to repeat what she may have said to Jerry. Okay. It was probably something really kinky. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I don't think it would have been stuff like, oh, tie me up with handcuffs. Mm. I think it probably would have been like possibly a sexual position. Okay. Or maybe... Quite descriptive. Yes. I won't like, say... I want you to put this thing in this place. And in do this that, place. That... that that thing to me. Yes. I think I it was probably to, something like that. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Very nasty. Like very, 
not explicit, taboo, but very explicit. So yeah. it's something which is a bit uh, unconventional. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not just oh baby, that feels so good. Uh, no. Yeah. Something. It feels so good because you're doing X to my Y in position yeah. Z. <laughs> yes. <laughs> something It'll like that. It'll be something like yeah. that. You can fill in the blanks, listener. You can. Whatever. Take take that. You could, you know, it feels so good because you're doing X to my Y with your Z. Or send us an email or a tweet. <laughs> Just say, <laughs> tweet what, do you, us. what do you fill think? In, fill in the X, Y, Zs. Yeah. What do you think Sandra said yeah. to Jerry? Yeah. Give us, give, us, uh, give us a theory. Yep. We want your kinkiest, dirtiest, rawest. Uh, tweets. Yeah, make sure not safe for work. Make sure don't don't do it at work. Yeah. <laughs> if you do do it at work and you get in trouble, we're not taking responsibility. Nah. Yeah. If you're an adult who can hold down a job, then you can tweet appropriately. You can. Uh, Be as dirty as you like. <laughs> <laughs> but after five o'clock, when you when you're off the clock. Yeah, please. Yeah, please. Uh, we'll have a quick break and we'll talk about uh, Louis. Uh, the Cuban diplomat Sarah Enrique. Sounds good. Yeah, this is But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character, a podcast about the greatest episode of all time, Seinfeld, and its secondary characters who adorn the show. All right, look, we got to get back to work. We just had a big breakthrough here. Okay, I'll leave you two alone. Okay. Maybe I'll go visit my mother. She just bought me some new panties and they're all laid out for me. <laughs> Welcome back to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Today we are talking about The Cheever Letters, the follow-up episode to The Bubble Boy, which we covered last week. And so far we have talked about Mr. and Mrs. Ross, Susan's parents. Just in small detail. That's right. In, we in are reference going to, to the do, Yeah, that's right. And we are going to do a But I Don't Want... Uh, sorry, a What's the Deal With uh, episode later down the line. We decided as we were recording on the spot. <laughs> yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, and we've also talked about Sandra, uh, Jerry's sort of temporary love interest. Yeah. Um, who's freaked out by... Mother, her mother's panties. Yes. Oh, sorry, the panties that her mother laid out mother for her. Mother laid out for her. Which we decided was fair enough in yeah. the moment. Uh, indeed, yes. Yeah, fair That'd enough. Be, like, you know, I guess, like I mentioned before the break, you don't mention parents, children, or relatives yeah. when you're about to have sex. Yeah. It's just... Those, those are the, the three things you just do not touch. Even hypothetical no. family members. No. Like, don't mention it. No. No, no, no. Please. Any blood or any fam- familial relations, just... Just keep it keep it in your mind. Exactly. Don't say it. Indeed. Anyway, we will talk about the Cuban diplomat, Luis. Luis. He's played by Miguel Perez. Uh, he's appeared in the film Blow, and he's recently appeared in the TV shows Fear the Walking Dead and Madam Secretary. They're his uh, main highlights. Okay. Yeah. Trying to think who he is in Blow. I love that film. Yeah. I guess he's just one of the Cuban drug dealers, uh, being a Cuban man. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. And that show, that movie being about cocaine from... from uh, from Colombia yeah. and Cuba. So that oh, makes sense. He's a South American guy. Yeah. Or, you know, Central American guy. There you go. Uh, he, I don't know, I didn't have a lot of, I liked him, but there's not a lot to work with. Yeah. I mean, it, there's also his buddies. Uh, there's Jorge and Umberto. That's right. You know? Yep. He obviously really, well. I think he really likes golf. Yeah. I couldn't find acting credits for the other the other two characters. Okay. It was only Louis. Right. But no, well, I, he probably, well, you know what, he's, I reckon it's Kramer who invited him to golf. Oh, yeah, yeah, And, you know, sure. because he's going as a diplomat for the Cubans, mm. in, you know, on behalf of the Cuban embassy, mm. they probably went to the Westchester. Maybe he thought it was not only, you know, uh, um, you know, maybe he likes golf, but maybe he saw it as an opportunity to, like, schmooze with some influential people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because Cuba in the 90s, or up until recently, was, uh, you know, not very popular with America and Americans. So if he could do something as a diplomat to improve its image amongst influential people in New York, maybe he thought it was a, a good opportunity to rub shoulders and, you know, get mm. in with some powerful people, maybe Indeed. some politicians or maybe, rich, yeah. rich people in New York. Yeah. You know, as well as being a, a fun social thing for him as well. Yeah, and because at the time the embargo 
applied. Yeah. So, you know, Cuban cigars were illegal and yep. stuff. So, yeah, you know, it was... Uh, yep. I mean, that was only lifted in, what, 2015? Yeah, 20, I think so. 2016. I think it was, yeah, before, uh, it was before like Trump of, was elected, yeah. Yeah, it was like one of the last things uh, Obama did, I think. Yeah, I think Like so. one of the last major international yep. political things. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, maybe saw it as an opportunity to, you know, improve Cuba's image amongst the uh, influential elite of New York. Yes. You know, indeed. as well as play game, uh, a, a golf game at a, at a, you know, reputable class club and he clearly loved Kramer's jacket which I, I don't know what it was I think wasn't the jacket from another episode previously I thought it was the um the raincoat what what are they called well, the raincoats um no but what are the raincoats called oh, oh the, the not the oh, Terminator Jesus I, I'm having the, um, I'm drawing a blank yeah you look it up yeah yeah uh, yep. mm. I thought it was one of those yeah I mean it kind of looked like that it kind of had the same tan color I oh, mean, I'm having a blank. I yeah, keep <laughs> thinking the Terminator for some reason. Or the, <laughs> the executive line, the, executive. the beltless model. That's right. That's the executive. Right. The executive. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, maybe it was an executive. I don't, I know. don't think it was. Okay, but I think I remember that jacket in an earlier episode. Okay, when Kramer gets it somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there is like a ongoing gag about Kramer's jacket. That guy who who lent it to him or his mother lent him the jacket yeah, and he my, wants it back oh yeah but that's a different that's jacket that's a different I think. jacket that's a yeah. later episode yeah yeah uh, yeah um, that's all I had about him he likes jackets he likes golf and uh, I think he smokes a lot of cigars mm. you know because he's got one on him just coincidentally as Kramer's like you know I want more cigars he's like oh one of these Like, so I think he's always got one handy I know that I'm clutching at straws here I'm just trying everything I can to try and you know get some info about Louis yeah but I think you know he's from Cuba you know, in Scarface, mm. uh, Tony Montana, mm. you know, they come from Cuba, yep. right? You know, yeah. and he wears those kind of beige, kind of yellow, you know, those kind of beige suits, or, yeah. you know, white suits. I think maybe he likes Scarface. Oh, I don't know. Okay. And he probably likes, you know, like, I don't think Tony Montana wears like the egg yolky kind of jacket. Yeah. But I think... He probably likes those kind of bright colours, okay. you know, because he likes Scarface. Right. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to no, clutch, no, at, clutch at straws. No, here. that's an understandable association. I yeah, can see yeah. that. And he probably like likes the kind of the big, the big '80s excess. You know, mm. it's all colourful and stuff. You know, yep. he probably looks at the jacket and goes, "Oh, it's like Tony Montana." Okay. That's probably what Tony Montana would wear. Uh-huh. I love that jacket. And I love Scarface. Okay, we'll go yeah. with that. I don't know. <laughs> Louis, Louis is a very big Scarface fan. I'm clutching, clutching. First him. you get the jackets, and then you get the women. <laughs> and then you'll get the Westchester country club. <laughs> First you get the cigars, then you get the jackets, <laughs> and then you get membership to the Westchester country club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the G-rated Scarface. Yes, I like it. Well, he's a, he's a diplomat. He's a politician. He can't, you know, be a cocaine dealer and, and kill people. So, but like I said, that's just a very weird theory. But it just we've come up with it. weirder theories. We have so that's, a lot worse. That's totally fine. Indeed. Yeah, not a lot worse. A lot more esoteric. <laughs> esoteric, indeed. I just wanted to say esoteric. I love that word. Yes, Ricky. Ricky. Talk about him. Yes. Played by Timothy Ombudsman. Ombudsman. <laughs> Every time you see his Ombudsman. name, I don't I'm just know. Think Ombudsman. Ombudsman. Played by Timothy Ombudsman. There we go. <laughs> uh, he appeared as a major character in the TV series Psych. Um, he also appeared in other TV shows such as Deadwood and Supernatural. And this character, or this, um, was his first acting credit. Playing Ricky. Oh wow! Mm. Okay. Yep. When was he born? Do you have the actor's oh, bio there? Yeah. Yeah. Grab it and see. Because I think in this episode he'd be maybe nineteen, twenty, probably. Which is quite a big age gap between him and Susan. Because Susan's in, you know, she's like sort of in her mid thirties. He was born in nineteen sixty nine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's forty nine. Yeah. Right. So. so he would have been twenty three when this episode was filmed. Yeah. But he was still in college. He still he's had no 20, major. Yeah. Well, when do Americans enter college? I think 18. 18, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he still had no major. So maybe he was in his first or second year. So I'm going to say, unless he was just floating around 
you know, just to stay in college. Maybe but, he's just one of those chronic academics. Yeah. You know, those yeah. kind of guys that just study for like 10 years yeah, and they never get a job. Because they don't want to go out in the real world That's and get right. a job and be they an just, adult. They just get like five degrees. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rack up all that debt. And then they can't make a cup of tea. They don't have like basic <laughs> life. I've met <laughs> yeah. so many of those people. It's like, yeah, you're I so know. smart on paper. You're so qualified intellectually. All academics, but no street yeah, smarts. But you can't yeah. like iron a shirt. Yeah. Like just basic life skills. I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, do you reckon he's one of those or do you um, think he's kind of... I reckon he's probably on a scholarship of some sort or maybe okay. yeah, or maybe Susan's father or yep. maybe his parents paid for his scholar- oh, for like, sure. his fund. Like, so maybe they kind of said, oh, you, you got to go to college like I, I did and work hard. And I wouldn't be surprised know. if he was a legacy admission, you know, in some elite school. Oh, like maybe, he, maybe Henry went to the, the college or the school. Yeah. 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 You know, and just through connections and just through big uh, donations to, you know, a Harvard or something like that. But it is say it is said that he uh, is home for the holidays or home for Christmas or whatever. It like, could be summer break. Yeah. And oh. I was thinking like they kind of made a point to say that, oh, he's home, like he's visiting, so implying that he doesn't visit often. So maybe he's or in maybe college, he's like on the West college. Coast or something. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, because most of the colleges, like, you know, um, Yale and Harvard, they're sort of in the northeast of America. Yeah. They're not that far away from New York. He relative. clearly doesn't go to college in New York. No, no, I think I wouldn't be surprised if 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 we are going with the idea that he's in an elite college, maybe he's in Stanford or the UCLA. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, you know, some UCLA. Sort of yeah, yep. I was thinking I think, that too. Yeah, because I think Stanford's in California. Okay. You know, and they're on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, you know, but they're... Well, I know Stanford is an Ivy League school. I can't remember if UCLA is. But, you know, maybe maybe he's on the West Coast because they really made a point of the fact that, oh, he's, he's here visiting. Like, yeah, yeah. hey, cool. Like, he doesn't come that often. No. I don't know. Because I think, you know, if he was on a if he was on an East Coast college, he would probably visit, you know, every second weekend. Regularly, he could just drive yeah. down because he obviously doesn't like college. No, of so course. So, like, fuck it, I'll go to my parents' house and, and hang out. Yeah, and he's only going because his dad does the donations. Yeah. Like you said, it's like a legacy admission. Yeah, so, yeah. for sure. Um, he seems a bit like he seems like a bit of a little shit he's got like a little turd I I reckon he was spoiled as a kid I could imagine his bedroom when he was a kid and he'd have like all the latest he probably had like yeah freaking Sega's he had Atari's he had freaking all the toys you know in the world his own computer you know he probably had all that kind of yeah. crap in the 80s i think you know? so he had everything yeah just yeah. a spoiled rich kid yeah i think um he he can see through george straight away like he knows he's perceptive enough <laughs> even though he's not an academic sort of person yeah. i think he's got enough uh perception to see who george is straight away because you can see how he, he just dislikes him straight away well a good point you make there actually he's probably like the opposite to some academics you know yeah. he's all street smarts but mm. no academics True. Maybe he's got yep. the street smarts he can see. Yeah, and he's highly perceptive of who people really are because he just he's off George straight away. It's yeah. like, no, I see you for who you really are. You're yep. not fooling me. Definitely. And um, obviously he's shocked when he finds mm. out his father has an affair. You know, mm. he, like it's funny. He looks at his down from his paper mm. and he's just like, what the? Yep. Yep. John Cheever, dad? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind Ricky. He's, yeah, he's, he's all right. Of, I don't he's, know. He's a little shit. Yeah, he's kind of like Donald. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too little to... Another link between the episodes. Yeah. Not just the cabin, but two little shits. <laughs> two little shits. Yeah. Yeah. Although their lives are quite different. Exactly. Yeah, but they're both little turds. Yeah. Do you have anything else about him? No, nah, that was it. All right, well, let's talk about the final secondary character, Aunt Sarah. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't have Russell's much sister. on her. Yeah, uh, played by Patricia Lee Wilson, known for appearing in the TV series Moonlighting. Yep. Um, yeah, well, she's a paraplegic, according mm-hmm. to uh, Mr. Ross. Um, you know, obviously... We, Becoming a paraplegic, you know, you must have been in an accident of some sort. She probably yeah. in a car accident or uh, maybe she had like a fall of some sort. I'm not yeah, sure. Some something sort would of, have happened. Something major. Yeah. So I'm guessing, obviously, you're not usually born paraplegic. No. Usually. I don't think so. No. But it must have been like a result of an accident, perhaps. Sure. And her son's a podiatrist. Yep. And uh, she doesn't wipe her wheels before she comes <laughs> no, in. Before she comes in. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> Mrs. Ross loves cleanliness. 
Yeah. You know, even though she yep. probably doesn't clean herself, she yep. got a maid. But, you know, she hates, she hates, um, you know. Wheel, wheel marks. Yeah, yeah, wheel marks indeed. Yep. And clearly doesn't like Sarah, you know, because yeah, it, it's, it's like Henry's, Henry's sister. Oh, is it Henry's yeah, sister? Yeah, it's on oh, Henry's side. Oh, okay. Because remember how she says, "Did you reckon George looks like his sister Sarah?" Oh, uh, yep, 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 yep. Somewhat of a resemblance. He doesn't look like me. He doesn't look like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. The only other thing that I had that you haven't said is that uh, I think she always suspected Henry to be gay because she's like, "I knew it." I knew it. Yeah, yep. exactly. So I don't know. Maybe she, maybe she just had like a really good gaydar. <laughs> you know, maybe. Um, or maybe she found some letters from like a previous affair. Or oh, maybe, and maybe she in secret, maybe. Yeah, or yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe he. That's possible. Maybe, maybe you know, if um, if Henry ever talked about John Cheever, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he talked about him in a way that implied or like suggested or hinted at that they were lovers, not just friends. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's she, possible. That like planted a seed of suspicion. She was like, hmm, I think there's something going on there. <laughs> yes. And when it's confirmed via the eponymous Cheever letters, she's like, I knew it. I knew so, it. So I think she's been harboring that suspicion for a long time because she so looks too. really satisfied when oh, she, she comes does. out. She's like, I knew it. She's yeah. so happy. Yeah, yeah. She loves it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's all the secondary characters from the Cheever letters. That's right. Quite a few we uh, we went through. Yep. First time in a while there's been that many characters. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, let's. Um, I guess we'll just go straight into our top episodes of all time, Stephen. So out of the 55 episodes we've reviewed so far over the whole series so far, where does the Cheever Letters sit? Number 19 for me. 19. Okay, yeah. cool. Yep. yep. So last week the Bubble Boy came in at number nine. Yep. Uh, and this one is the number 19. Yeah. So I don't think it's as strong as the Bubble Boy. No, um, I just don't I thought think, so too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some really good scenes in this episode. I don't think there's any weak what moments, like really weak moments. It doesn't feel like there's any filler. But, you know, the Bubble Boy just reaches new heights because of the scene with George and the Bubble Boy. I mean, that's iconic. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's a classic. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the cig- like Kramer's sort of B or C story, really, with the um, with the cigars is, like, it's fine, but... But it's kind of like a follow-up from yeah, the, f- yeah. the Bubble Boy. It's yeah, just yeah. another little thing random adventure that Kramer has and it results in him having new weird friends that he wouldn't get <laughs> so it didn't seem to um, to challenge Kramer as a character it's no. just like Kramer going off and doing wacky things and then it you know he gets he becomes mates with random people and like that's a typical Kramer thing yeah and plus Elaine didn't really have like no, a storyline either no not much yeah, not no much. not much yeah. I mean all the her ending made up for that yeah <laughs> Easily the strongest moment of the episode for me. Yeah, definitely. That, that last scene. Definitely. Where did it appear in your uh, list? Uh, number 33. Okay. So, again, not as strong as The Bubble Boy, which is number 14 for me. Yep. Um, yep. But, you yeah, know, it was it was enjoyable enough. You could some good scenes in there. But, yeah, it was – I think I – it thinks because I had high expectations for it. Like, okay. I thought, oh, yeah, you know, mm. I remember it being a great episode. But then watching it again, it was good. But, I don't know, I think I was kind of – I don't know. Okay. I think the hype was too much for me. Okay. I was pumped for it. Right. Yeah. Well, sorry, Up Rocks, who we talked about in uh, Seinfeld News. They they included it in their top 10. So oh, it's number 33 for us. It's a good episode. Number 33, 19. So, yeah. Souls Up Rocks. Yeah, Souls Up Rocks. Souls. Do any of the characters appear in your top 10 or top 20? No, none this time. Mm. I wanted to include Mr. Ross, but okay. I think we'll save him yeah. for a while. Because we'll talk deal. about him, his whole yeah, arc. Yeah, yeah. I think when we talk about his whole arc... Yeah, you'll get a better probably, idea of... Probably. Yeah, but I probably would include Mr. Ross. Okay, in your yeah. top 20. I probably... Yeah, not top 10, but True. top 20. If this was the only episode that he appeared in, if he was never seen again, I would probably include him in my top 20. Yeah, yeah, Because he's such too. a curmudgeon. Me too. And I, yep. love, I love them old curmudgeons. Yeah, yeah, me too. For sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, and all of our top 10 episodes and characters... Oh, by the way, none of the characters in this episode appear in my top 20. No, okay. Uh, or 10 either. All good. But uh, both of our top 10 secondary characters and episodes we've reviewed so, much, uh, so far will appear in the show notes. Yes. 
Uh, and I'm, actually, I was going to do Seinfeldia now. Okay. Because I was I was going to mention my top 10 Seinfeld episodes, but they're going to be in the show notes. My mm. favourite's the contest at the moment. Yep. And today's trivia is about the contest. Perfect. So I thought it'd be a perfect segue. We just jump there's into couple, it. There's been a nice little uh, few like little dovetails yeah. this episode. Yeah. Very good. But no doves flying around, no which doves. is interesting. That's <laughs> probably a good thing. Yeah. Yep. All that poop. Um, season four's The Contest marked a turning point for Seinfeld. The network let the infamous masturbation episode air as written. Whether shocked by it, thrilled, or a little bit of both, millions had discussed it the next day, media attention had followed, and NBC remembered the power of television that sparked discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. That would have been a massive water cooler moment. Groundbreaking. Oh, yeah. Yep. And uh, if you want to hear our take on the secondary characters of the contest, go back to season four, or three. Yeah. Our f- no, yeah, season three. Yep. Our, our 50th, 50th ever episode. It's mm. a live ever. It's a live episode. Yeah, so. it was live, which was fun. That's right. Uh, to wrap up, we'll go through our Seinfeldisms for the week. You have, I know, at least one. Oh, yes. Uh, big shout out to a podcast. Uh, they're based in Sydney. Four guys uh, from Sydney. They're called Hottest 100s and Thousands. Uh, they've been going for, I think, a couple, uh, probably three years now. They're up to their fifth or sixth season. Um, they basically talk about every single song which charted in the Triple J Hottest 100 of each year, starting from 1993. They uh, do five songs per episode, don't they? They do, yeah. And, but they count, they review and analyze all 100 of them for a season. Wow. Um, so in case so people. Each, so each yeah. season is a year of the Hottest 100. That's right. Yeah, correct. Um, and in case you're wondering, what's Triple J? Triple J is a youth radio station in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, government owned youth radio station. Yep. So yeah, they've been doing this uh, Hottest 100 countdown since 1993. And, uh, yeah, they talk about every single song. Okay. Um, and they talked about... So, they're up to 1998. And uh, a couple of weeks ago... And so, not their last episode, the one before. Uh, they talked about how they hated the Seinfeld finale because uh, one of the songs mentioned was Green Day's Good Riddance, Time of Your Life. Okay. Which was used in the uh, finale. Yeah. In the, when it aired in the US. That was considered a sort of a, a second life of Green Day. Because that album, yep. Nimrod, was a bit of a letdown it commercially was. and critically. Yeah, that's what they talk about as well. Yep. Yeah. And yep. then that album uh, or that song, you know, blew up because of the Seinfeld finale and it was sort of like a... a new life for Green Day. Yeah, yeah. And they talk about it. They have a really interesting backstory to how it came about okay. as well. Like, I won't mention it, but uh, they're called Hottest 100s and Thousands, so be sure to subscribe to them. And they gave us a nice shout-out on uh, Twitter yep. as well. So, yeah. thanks, boys. Yeah, thanks, guys. That yeah. was very lovely to read. Yeah, and also as a joke, they called themselves Jerry, Elaine, Kramer, and George at the start of the episode because <laughs> there's four of them. Very nice. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, it was funny. That's a good Seinfeldism. I yeah, like it. Yeah, it was nice. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I have three. Cool. Uh Two are good, one shit, but I included it anyway. So, (laughs) number one, I was in Ballarat over the weekend with some friends, and uh, I love a bit of op shopping, Mm -hmm. and I happen to be, I think it was a Salvation Army op shop, and uh, I usually have a a sticky beak in the CDs and uh, DVDs just to see if I can find any weird, obscure things. And uh, usually I'll find a Seinfeld, like a like all of the all of the DVDs. But I found season seven, just a single DVD, a lone DVD. Nice. Um, so I took a photo of that. Uh, and what else happened? So I was actually out on Saturday night. No, sorry, Sunday night with my friend Will, who's provided me with a few Seinfeldisms <laughs> recently. <laughs> He's great. He's great. He's a source of Seinfeldisms. Yeah. Um, he. We're out Sunday, and I can't remember, but we were talking about a situation, and all of a sudden he just goes. This just sounds like we're talking, like, this just sounds like our life is a Seinfeld episode. Ah. We were just talking for like half an hour about this really small, insignificant situation. <laughs> like, one of his friends did something that, you know, like, he did something small and mundane. But for some reason, we just kept on shitting on about it for like half an hour. I can't even remember what it was. But then out of the blue, he goes, 
I feel like we're just in a Seinfeld episode. Like we're just talking Man. and talking and talking about something small and insignificant. Man, so, we have to get him on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> we got to give him like an episode to review. Yeah. And get his take on it. He actually admitted to me in that conversation. <laughs> I said I to, him, to get him, on. yeah, have no, to. He's, he's great. Have to. Um, uh, he actually admitted to me in that conversation or later in the night that um, he has become a pretty big Seinfeld fan. I think oh. he's up to about season seven or eight now. Oh, he's, must, he's he must be in season yeah. eight because he talked yeah. about uh, Susan dying, which is the last episode of season oh, seven. Yeah, that's right. So he must be in season eight now. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, and I've sort of like slowly encouraged him to watch Seinfeld because <laughs> I just talk about it all the time when yeah, I'm with him yeah, yeah. Um, and uh-huh. the podcast and stuff. So, Very nice. Yep. And the third one is, uh, as I've mentioned many, many times, uh, every day I watch a Simpsons episode chronologically. And uh, I've just finished season 26, so I'm almost at the very end of uh, of the whole series. It's Goodness taken me gracious. two and a half fucking years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I just finished this morning episode 575. Massive undertaking. I know. Mm. Uh, and I watched a season 26 episode. Uh, it's called The Kids Are All Fight. Um, and uh, there's a little scene at the end. It's too hard to explain without watching the episode, but it plays the Seinfeld theme. It's like the fourth act of the, of the you know, if like the episode wraps up and there's like a little sort of almost like a post-credits, like little funny gag thing. And the Seinfeld theme like plays into that little fourth act. Ah, okay. Cool. Yeah. So they're my three Seinfeldisms for the week. Very good, man. And that's the uh, the end of this episode. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you got nothing else? Nope. <laughs> I thought no. you're going to be like, actually. No. Yes. Nope. Thanks so much for listening. It's always great to, uh, you know, bring out episodes for you and chat about Seinfeld and uh, its secondary characters. And uh, if you want to listen to us, we are basically everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts these days, Stitcher, all that jazz. We're also on socials at B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. And we have a website, Steve. Bidwabass.com. Yeah. And uh, we have an email address, bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. Say hello. Get in touch. Uh, tell us what Jerry uh, was told by Sandra. Yeah. The dirty talk. Give us your dirtiest, yep. dirtiest line. Tweet at us, Instagram us, Facebook us, email us, whatever. Please. And uh, finally, we are on Patreon. So if you want to support us for $5 a month, uh, you can give us some cash and we'll give you some hot content. Indeed. Some uh, panties that our mother's <laughs> laid out for you in exchange. We'll, we'll, mail, we'll mail you some mother laid out panties in the mail. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> for $5 a month. Seinfeldism. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Make sure they're not used. Anyway, I'm Stephen. I'm Ivan. And uh, we'll catch you all next week for The Wizard. Yes, Mr. and Mrs. Ross make a comeback. <laughs> Lovely. Can't wait. See ya. Thank <laughs> you.